Monday, 9-18-2023. It's the Level Up Podcast on Fans First Sports Network. Rocking out with my boy Andy P, man. Andy, we had some controversial mess jump off over the weekend with the college football, and we got a whole lot going on with this Saturday. We're going to call it Separation Saturday for for this week in college football. But before we get all of that, we want to just make sure you guys are rocking out with us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. That's where we can be found. And we got a sneaky surprise coming for you pretty soon because we might just be live on YouTube and a lot of other ways that you can actually see me and Andy P's face. And we have a lot going on with our podcast. But today, we're just going to give you the baseline level of the rewind of last week's Saturday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, whatever days you want to call college football and the upcoming separation Saturday for this Saturday. Before I do that, Andy, what's cracking, man? What's going on over there? It's New York land, man. It's, uh, you know, every time I do this podcast with you, I got a rainstorm going on. We got some Wi-Fi issues, but all that's sorted up now. All that matters is that we are talking about what I objectively think is the best slate of games that we have had this season. It is the beginning of the best time of the college football season, which is we still have a lot of teams that are contending. We still have Mm. a lot of teams that we think might jump into that contending role. Mm. And we're starting to see the real matchups. Like great example of this. My Syracuse Orange are 3-0. They have not played anybody yet. I don't know (laughs) if they're actually good or not. But what I do know is that uh, after this week's game against – we're not going to be talking about Syracuse versus Army. But after this, that's when they start playing the real ACC team. So we've got the SEC in action. We've got the Pac-12 in action. We've got the Big Ten in action. We got Notre Dame playing a real opponent uh, this week. Like it is, mm. we're gonna like you said, separation Saturday. We're gonna learn so much about a lot of these teams that we've been getting excited about, and we're also gonna get reminded about some teams that we haven't really talked about on the show a whole lot that have yeah. you know played really soft schedules, so they haven't warranted discussions. But this yeah. week they start they start playing the big boys. Facts, man. I am so excited about this week of college football. I think this is what we've been. The whole reason why we wanted to do the show was because big time weekends with college football. But before we get to the slate, we got to talk a little bit about a couple of things that happened. And we got breaking news for you guys on the FFSN College Football Level Up podcast. We have just been notified and confirmed that Mel Tucker will be fired as the Michigan State head coach. There was a couple of things that were cited saying why Mel Tucker was going to be removed. And I'm going to read them to you. Right now, based on my my inside information, Michigan State University informed football coach Mel Tucker Monday that the school has the intent to terminate based on him citing undisputed evidence of misconduct that warrants termination. And Michigan State delivered a notice in a five-page letter that stated that he has multiple sites and multiple things for unprofessional and unethical behavior. Man, Andy, we got our first firing in college football, man. What what is going on up in – East Lansing, Michigan. I think that this is one of those weird things that happens every college football season where a job opens up for reasons that you didn't have on the bingo card to start the year. And this was definitely not on that bingo card. I think Michigan State incredibly motivated to make this firing. Mel Tucker, they gave a lot of money to after Mm. one very good year in a very weird college football season after the COVID uh, resumed to play efforts picked up. Giving him that much money that soon always felt like a bit of an overpay to keep him in East Lansing when I don't think Michigan State really needed to do that. 
Facts. So getting out of the con- getting out of the contract is half the battle for for Michigan State here, and that's what they want. I think Mel Tucker is somebody who obviously he's made some mistakes. We're not here to talk about that. But from a coaching perspective, what he has done in East Lansing is rely pretty heavily on the transfer portal to round out the roster, and just yeah. has not hit on very many of those transfers. His recruiting mm-hmm. classes also not been very successful. So you whoever is stepping into this job is going to have to approach it as if it was a total rebuild you you might Mm. be able to pull a dion you might be able to get some big name transfers over there but for the most part you can't exactly expect to step in and have a whole lot of talent on that roster to compete in a loaded big 10 but i will say one of the most interesting things about this entire situation that i just i just realized mark d'antonio is coming back to be some sort of consultant assistant to the head coach, man, that screams to me that he is trying to wiggle his way back into that head coaching job. If Michigan state can't find anybody willing to take it at their price. That's that's facts, man. I think that he, he didn't want to leave anyway, just to be honest, you know, he had some things that went on and I think some of it was the lack of success that he had on the field, but I think the pitch that he's going to say to them is look, I'm staying. You're not going to have to worry about all this rigmarole and all whatever else. I'll be here. I'm not going to do anything that's going to cost the program and or put us in a position where we have a bad light shined on us because we do play in the Big Ten Conference. So I look for them maybe, just maybe, to rehire the guy. It could happen. Could not. They might go young. They might grab one of those young Mac coaches or maybe the kid out of Cincinnati or the guy out of SMU. But it could be that they might ride with the tradition going on up there at Michigan State. But they got to do something. Because now with the expansion of the conference, you're talking about a bother feeder feeder team in a conference. Michigan State, you have definitely moved down to the lower echelon of the 18-team conferences that we're going to know as the Big Ten here moving forward. All right, so, man, switching gears. We had probably the most watched game of college football, which was Colorado, Colorado State. They started out at 10 p.m., they played the 215 in the morning and it was a double overtime game with Colorado winning 43-35 in two overtimes. But man, I got to talk about a couple of little quick things with this. My first thing that I want to say is that Jay Norvell, you should be investigated by the NCAA. I have not seen a game played as dirty as I saw that game being played with 17 penalties for 182 yards, including nine personal foul penalties. And two targetings, which one kid, Travis Hunter, who was a Heisman, basically front runner, ended up with a lacerated liver and is going to be out for the next three weeks on a hit that went down four steps after the kid was already out of bounds. And you were in a position to stop yourself from hurting him. Um, I think it was a lot of dirty stuff going on. And I think a lot of that was the bad blood that was caused between Deion Sanders and Coach Jay Norvell prior to the game, which fed it and fed it and fed it. But it was one of the most undisciplined games I've ever seen. Last time I saw that is when the Miami Hurricanes played the Texas Longhorns down there in the Cotton Bowl. And I think Miami was mad because they didn't go to the national championship game and had like 212 yards worth of penalties, like 21 penalties, something ridiculous. You know, so it's been a long time since we've seen a game played like that. But, man, Andy, I want to get your thoughts on what did you think was going on between that? Because it's definitely bad blood now between Colorado State and Colorado. It's funny because I remember that rivalry being a thing 
that was always circling. Part of this is obviously those NCAA football games that everybody played. You want the rivalry trophies and Colorado, Colorado State was always a big one. I also yeah. remember it, obviously, Big G, you and I are both members of Steeler Nation. I remember that's the game that led to Joey Porter getting shot in the butt and yeah. you know be, missing a couple of games as he was recovering from that. I actually was at the first game that he came back from. He came out of the tunnel limping and had yeah. a terrible towel over his – oh, it was great, great times. Yeah. But that has been a – that has been a heated rivalry for decades, and it's just kind of fallen off the map as Colorado has bounced around between other conferences. They don't play mm. Colorado State consistently. Colorado mm. State really, I think, and I think part of what happened here is that Colorado State is coming off of uh, an unsuccessful coaching tenure with mm. Steve Adazio. That was just not going to be a fit. Adazio has really kind of tanked the program in terms of what it was building and its identity. And mm. so you have Norvell coming in, who is somebody who identifies as having a chip on his shoulder and wants to instill a certain type of attitude in his players mm. and took a shot at Deion Sanders and all the credit in the world to Dion. Yeah. That man mm. will take any opportunity to motivate his players and get everybody on his side. I have never seen a coach take that kind of an insult in stride and turn it around on the, the the man who dished it out the way that he yeah. turned that sunglasses clip he had everybody on game day wearing sunglasses everybody in the in the stands were wearing sunglasses like it was one of the bet like you you could teach that in pr school that was Facts. masterfully done by dion and the, and the school and yeah. i think honestly i think that rubbed norvell the wrong way like i think norvell mm. was wanted thought that he was making a point was trying to get something across and it's tough for me to have any sympathy for a coach who's saying that a team and their coach is overly flashy and doesn't mm. you know abide by the rules and then come out and play the game that they that they played Facts. to me and it also goes into the game calling there were times when Norvell who is a wide receivers coach mm. uh, had that the Colorado State team wide receivers were dropping passes running bad routes they were making poor decisions in crunch time they had a lot of opportunities in the fourth quarter where if the wide receivers had just been more intelligent and had been a bit more engaged in the game, they had opportunities yeah. to get more yards and set up for what could have been a game-winning field goal that would have avoided overtime altogether. But Facts. they were the Colorado State team was just not smart. They were not disciplined. This is the kind of game that I did not think Colorado could win. Mm. When their speed, when their athleticism is nullified by another team's physicality or in this case, dirty play. Yeah. And I was legitimately impressed with the way that Shadur Sanders handled himself in that crunch time moment. He adapted yeah. the way that he needed to play quarterback. He was not in a rhythm for three quarters. He turned it yeah. on in the fourth quarter. Part of it was because Colorado state just stopped blitzing for reasons that I still don't fully understand. Cover but, two the whole way, cover two, cover three. I, I've never seen a team flip the off switch that quickly before. Mm -hmm. And I was impressed with the way that Sanders responded. He took what the defense gave him. He got back into a rhythm. They won that game. We're going to talk about Colorado's next test pretty soon. Yeah. But I came away. I came away from that game more impressed with Colorado than from any of their other uh, victories that they've had so far this season. I totally agree, man. I think that in this case, for sure, without a shadow of a doubt, Shador Sanders has played himself in position to fight for the Heisman Trophy based on what goes on for the rest of the season. I mean, the kid was 38 for 47, 348 yards, 
four touchdowns and interception. And the man said, listen, man, you left too much time on the clock. At 2.06 left, I went Tom Brady mode, 98 yards for the TD to tie us and put in the overtime. So the kids got what it takes upstairs, definitely. He figured out that, hey, look, and also I got to give a shout-out to the offensive coordinator for Colorado. Man, with that adjustment going to number 87, the tight end, man, up the scene because they were taking away the outside routes. And to tell Shador, listen, sit down on that inside zone route over and over and over and over and over again. It worked. So there was a lot of great coaching, great learning that went on in that aspect. And shout out to definitely for Prime Deion Sanders, man, for taking the higher road, for not engaging with some of that antics that was going on with Coach Jay Nervell. But like you said, we're going to talk about it moving forward. But go ahead, Andy. What you got, man? Well, I was going to say, Sean Lewis, the OC of Colorado, has gotten a lot of fluff pieces coming out recently. He's a guy who, when he was at Kent State, always very open to the media. He's somebody. I don't know if Michigan. I don't know if he necessarily fits the brand that Michigan State wants to go for. Yeah. But he's somebody because of his familiarity. He was, you know, he was an offensive coordinator in the MAC uh, before he got the Akron job. He was an OC at Syracuse, who recruited the Midwest incredibly aggressively. Yeah. He's somebody that you're looking at now. That if you're Michigan State, he's familiar with the areas that you want to pull players from. He's mm-hmm. an offensive first young player who's looking to, for that first head coaching job, looking for a long-term commitment, probably going to come a lot cheaper than some of the more established big name coordinators out there mm-hmm. might be somebody that if you're Michigan state, you give a, you give a little call out to his agent and see, uh, see what he's looking for to make a move away from Boulder, Colorado. Oh, without a shadow of a doubt, this kid will level up that program in a heartbeat. Because, Like you said, he's familiar with the area. I mean, if you really think about drawing a map, from East Lansing, Michigan to Syracuse, New York, and then you double down through Ohio and parts of Pennsylvania, hey, man, you can get a nice little pool of kids that can play football, you know. And now with his exposure with Colorado, he puts himself in a position where, okay, guys who were thinking about hitting the portal and might not be a good fit at Colorado could definitely be a fit at Michigan State University. So I agree wholeheartedly. That would be a great hire. But shout out to Primetime Deion Sanders and the Colorado Buffs. Andy, I told you they was going to go 3-0. I told you. I told you they was going to do it, and they sure well, did. Do you, do you think they're going to go 4-0? <laughs> I, once, we're going to talk about that because that's going to be that's gonna be a hard pick this week with the show, man. I just don't – we'll see. We'll see when we get to it. Hey, so but before we move forward, we're going to take our first commercial break to make sure we pay some bills on Fans First Sports Network Level Up Podcast with Andy P and Big G. For, for, for those that's out there listening, give us about five, six, seven, eight, ten seconds and let these commercials play through, and we'll be right back with week one, week four's first game for review. We're back with the Level Up Podcast on Fans First Sports Network. Sitting here with my boy Andy P. You know I rock with Big G. That's my call name. That's who I am. That's who I be. But we're here today to talk about what we have deemed and called Separation Saturday. It happens every year in college football. Thank goodness it's week four this week because the slate of games we had last week called for to be this week. And when I'm telling you we got some barn burners, some games that will raise the hair on your skin, that will get you excited about college football in its totality and what college football is, we have the slate this week. So, Andy, week one, game one that we're going to cover, 
and I'm just going to call the game out, you hit them with what you know, bro. Florida State at Clemson. What you got, Andy? This is one of the most interesting games because a Clemson win would open up the ACC in a way that we haven't seen in a long time. ACC no longer doing divisions. It's all going to be the top two teams at the end of the year playing the conference title. Right now, you got a lot of teams undefeated, uh, but you've got Clemson sitting with one loss. You expect Duke to lose a game somewhere mm. along the way. You expect UNC to lose a game somewhere along the way. There's going to be a lot of one-loss teams in the ACC. However, mm. Florida State, they're in the driver's seat right now. They are, they're a top-four team. They look like they have what it's got, but Florida State got trapped Got trapped looking ahead. Uh, yeah. BC, they only beat Boston College by two points. Boston College is a very, very bad team. Uh, if you yeah. take a look at the um, SP+, Plus, which is my preferred analytics model, Boston yeah. College is the 83rd, worst, or 83rd best team in the country. FSU mm-hmm. is the 12th best team in the country. You should not be winning that game by only two points. So yeah. now you're playing a Clemson team who over the last six quarters has looked like the real deal. Yes, mm-hmm. they've played Charleston Southern and FAU, two programs that you probably don't think of as powers, but yeah. they've gone back to their bread and butter. The offensive line is dominating the line of scrimmage. They're giving the ball to Will Shipley. Cade Klubnick is not trying to is not trying to overthrow. He's not trying to win the game by himself. Mm-hmm. I think that the key matchup in this game is going to be Jared Verse versus the Clemson offensive line because Ooh. Jared Verse absolute beast we saw him blow up an sec offensive line against lsu mm. that was the first game of the year there's not a ton of film on him there's not a ton of ways that you know necessarily how to how to slow him down but yeah. now when you're clemson if you can stop jared verse from blowing up that offensive line florida state's strength is in their secondary but they need a little bit of pass rush in order to allow uh their secondary to attack balls that might not necessarily be put in the best places. Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting here going, if Jared verse is nullified and they have to bring four five, six guys to get pressure, Mm -hmm. Clemson suddenly has a chance here to move the ball on that defense and make this a very interesting game. Man, I like it, man, Andy, for sure. But you know, the thing that I was looking at that I think, I think me and you was on the same page. We're just on the opposite side of the page. I think the, the, the key to the game is going to be what does Florida State's rushing offense do against Clemson's defensive line? Because I think that Clemson is horrible as far as defensive backs are concerned. They got punished all the way across the board for everybody that they played, including Duke, who couldn't throw the ball to save their life, and they still punished them. You know, so I'm like, okay, what is Rodney Hill? What is Trevor Benson? What are they going to do as far as running backs? I know this last game against Boston College, Rodney Hill had five carries for 42 yards. Trey Benson or Trevor Benson had 12 carries for 38 yards on a touchdown. I think for Florida State to actually win the game, they have to dominate the line of scrimmage. And they got it up front because they're, they're a senior-led deep, uh, offensive line with Casey Roddick, the left guard, being their main guy. So I'm like, okay, what are you going to do as far as an offensive line to establish your dominance? Because there's some guys on the other side of the line for Clemson in their defensive line, including Xavier Thomas, including Justin Mas, I forgot to get Mascolo or Masolo, the defensive yeah. end. These kids are ballers, but I think, you know, they got one linebacker and Jeremiah Trotter Jr., but everybody else in that back, that back six, seven, whatever defense, they sort of suspect. So I think they can be had in the pass game, but 
The line of scrimmage is going to be huge, in my opinion, for Clemson to dominate as far as offense transitioning to defense. So I think, well, like I said, we both got the – we're like the yin and the yang with this. We both got the keys to the game. But I, it's you're saying it's going to be the offensive line for one to establish, and I'm saying it's going to be the offensive line for the other. So I definitely think we're on the same page, without a doubt, shadow of a doubt. Yeah, this is going to be one of those games that's just decided in the trenches, and that and that makes it fun. You know, you want to see big-time college football, uh, and that means that – Big-time football is usually decided in the trenches. If the trench battle is even, then you mm. start seeing the skill players step up. So mm. this is this is going to be, I think, a really interesting game. It's going to be a noon game in Death Valley. Ooh. So, you know, I, mm. I think part, a little bit of that kind of nullifies the home field advantage because Death Valley at night, yeah. it is an experience and a half. During the day, like I've seen Syracuse go into Death Valley during those noon games, take yeah. advantage of the sleepy crowd, the slow start. Uh, and get and get up early on Clemson. And I think that's mm-hmm. going to be how Florida State can set the tone in this game and how they can potentially win this game. Get out there early, get out there fast. Like you said, I think that Clemson's secondary, real suspect, and we know that Florida State's wide receivers are for real. And even mm-hmm. if they're not on their A game, they are bigger than these Clemson cornerbacks by oh, a yeah. mile and a half. Jordan yeah. Travis needs to throw that ball up there, and somebody yeah. will come down with it. <laughs> Hey, this is the game Jordan Travis needs to have a Heisman moment. I mean, if he's yes. going to be in the running for the Heisman Trophy as far as contenders, because there's all, we've already had a, a couple of guys that's had Heisman moments already. So this is his game to shine. I know he had the big game earlier with LSU, but you got to knock off the guy. The team has been dominating your conference for the last whatever, you know, basically since Dabo Swinney got there. And yes. so, you know, it's time for, for a new leader of the pack to, to prevail in the ACC. So, Andy, saying all that, you know how we do on the Level Up podcast, man. We give predictions and we say really what we think. Since this is your conference, this is the ACC, I'm going to throw it over to you first, man, because I, I might ride with you regardless of what I feel on the inside. I just want to <laughs> see what you have to say first. So tell me, Andy, who you got in this ACC rivalry that could actually be who's going to win the ACC? I definitely agree there. I think – the winner of this game is going to go a long way into determining the winner of the ACC. Florida State has been a really great story, and I want Florida State to be back. Mm. However, mm. Clemson seems to have gotten their game together over the last six quarters. I can't throw away eight, nine years of Dabo Sweeney Clemson just because of a slow start to the season. Like that yeah. team historically gets up for these games they if Clemson has a bad year it's because they slip up against the Syracuse and the Dukes they don't slip up in these big games Mm. I am a little bit worried with the way that Florida State played last week against a bad Boston College team Mm. I think that Clemson is trending in the right direction Florida State is trending in the wrong direction however all that being said the bookmakers right now they like Florida State to win this game by two, and I agree. Mm. I think it's going to be close. The one stat that changes my mind here so far, Clemson, Clemson's passer rating with a clean pocket, minimal pressure, 130. Looks mm. great. Mm. Clemson's passing rate under pressure is 36. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that is – I think I think Florida State's defensive line is too good. I think they're going to get pressure. I think Cade Klubnick is just not it yet. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. he's there next year, but this year he's still too green. Give me Jordan Travis and FSU to win this one by a field goal, but it's going to be it's going to come down to the wire. 
Man, Andy, I, I loved every take that you said to justify your pick by Florida State because that's why I was leaning anyway because I compared K. Klubnick versus Jordan Travis. When all things are even, which guy's better? Jordan Travis is, is a ready-to-go senior quarterback that's trying to lead his team to the college football playoff. K. Klubnick, even though the kid's from Westlake Travis, and I know a little bit about those guys from Westlake, I mean from Westlake High School up there in Austin, Texas, I don't think he was ready. I think the moment's just too big. And I think Florida State rides into Syracuse and steals one and puts themselves in position for a later on battle maybe with North Carolina for the ACC championship. But we'll see. we got a long season to go. But that's definitely hit number one of all our power games on Separation Saturday. Andy, game number two is the one that I've been waiting to get to talk about for weeks because I've been saying it. I thought they were going to do it. But now with just some changes, I don't know. We are at... The University of Colorado visiting the Oregon Ducks. Andy, man, what the heck is going to go on in Eugene, Oregon this week with that game, man? The Pac-12 is goal is thriving on this Saturday. There's three Pac-12 games that we're going to talk about here because the Pac-12 has proven to be one of the deepest conferences in college football this year. And these are – any team that we're going to talk about today – it would not surprise me that they make the Pac-12 title game. Like that is Ooh. how deep the Pac-12 is. And we're not even nice. talking about we're not even talking about USC or Washington today, who I think might be the two best teams in the Pac-12. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have eight ranked in the top 25. When was the last time you saw that? You know, for I, sure. West Coast football is having a moment. The Pac-12 is going out in style. Mm. And for me, this game specifically is an interesting challenge between two offenses that want to dictate the pace and the tempo of the game. Mm. The Travis Hunter absence, I think will impact Colorado defensively a lot more than it impacts them offensively. We saw that in the Colorado state game. You talked about it off the top. Sean Lewis was adjusting in game very well Mm. to what the Colorado defense showed without Mm. Travis Hunter on the field. Yeah. I'm not so worried about Colorado State's offense. I am a bit worried about this defense because Oregon has one of the best offenses in the country. They yeah. are a team that will want to put up points on you. They have the second ranked offense according to SP Plus. Yeah. That is going you're you're not going to stop them. They're going to put up at least 21 to 28 points at home, which yeah. now means that the game comes down to can can Colorado uh, keep up in this game. Yeah, I, I think what Colorado has shown me so far mm-hmm. is that I can't count that out. Uh, mm-hmm. Their their scheme and the way that they have created players in space to take advantage of what they do best, really strong. That offensive line, definitely not the best offensive line out there. But Shadur yeah. Sanders is mobile. He knows how to get the ball out there quickly. I don't think the offensive line is going to be as big of a big of a concern. For me, I I think this is really going to come down to uh, field position battling. Like, yeah, are, can yeah. Col- can Colorado work with a forty or a fifty yard field instead of having to drive seventy or eighty yards the entire way? That is the yeah. one weak spot in in Oregon's entire uh, team. They, according to SP Plus, they have the fifty eighth ranked special teams unit in the country. It just means that, you know, special teams is always really tough, but SP Plus uses uh, special teams to categorize field position. Mm-hmm. So Oregon State's not doing a great job 
at having their their uh, opposition start in negative territory. So mm-hmm. if Colorado can take advantage of the field position opportunities that they're given by Oregon, I think that we have ourselves a shootout. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. I think that – so I went back and I encourage all of our, our listeners and our that walk with us and walk, listen to our podcast. If you guys have not subscribed yet to Patreon.com, you need to go and subscribe to Patreon.com and watch the All-22 film with some of these teams that we're talking about in college football because you can really get a feel and understand what type of offenses are and defenses are being played in college football. So I was used to that whole – high-flying Oregon score 60-point type game, you know, going on, which they can, and they have a capability. But they don't do it like how they did it in the early 2000s. What they do is they literally line up across the ball, run a lot of different RPO looks, and try to manhandle you and push you down the field. And that's led by Bo Nix. Bo Nix, compared to last season to this season, looks completely different. So I think that Colorado's going to have problems as far as on the defensive side. But offensively, I think that Colorado can maybe just hurt them a little bit. I like a couple of the defensive backs that they have. I like Kyrie Jackson. I like Brian Addison. But when overall, they don't have that like that Gonzalez kid that played last year that would just shut down the whole side of, of a field, and they didn't flip corners. Well, they come into this year, and they're still not flipping corners. You know, so I'm like, okay, do they feel that they got a shutdown guy that can stop like a Joe Horn Jr. on one side of the ball? We'll see. But I think it's definitely going to be a shootout. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked that the final score of this game is like 48 to 42, you know, something like that, because I believe that both offenses can score. But Bo Nix looks like, based on what I've reviewed on all 22 film on Patreon.com, I believe that Bo Nix is a completely different player and is in the running for the Heisman Trophy. That's what I think about the game early, you know. Yeah, I, I'm looking at the, you know, you look at their stats, and Oregon is is one of the most even teams in the country. You know, they've thrown, they've they've had 116 attempts through the air. They've had 95 uh, carries on the ground. Yeah. Like you said, they're running that RPO stuff in order to give Bo Nix the opportunity to make the easy play, and yeah. then letting their offensive line really really stand out and do the work. Uh, you know, pro football, another thing that I highly recommend, like I have pro football focus premium. Yeah. So that yeah. way I get the college football grades. Yeah. Their entire offensive line has a green rating in the seventies. And so an yeah. average, you know, your Mendoza line is like in the sixties and mm-hmm. the Oregon offensive line, nobody's an elite, you know, going to be a number top five pick in the NFL draft, but they are mm-hmm. all guys who are remarkably solid. They don't make a lot of mistakes. And I think that that is, going to be part of the Oregon uh the Oregon uh game script is yeah. run those RPOs you can run them fast if the Colorado team is you know starting to get gassed you can take advantage of a situation but i think if you're Oregon and you have the ball and you can keep the ball on the ground with these new clock rules where we're seeing yeah. you know games moving a little bit quicker and teams getting less plays off best way to keep uh, the best way to prevent Shadur Sanders from hurting you is to keep Shadur Sanders on the sideline yeah, yeah. I, I I totally agree. And I do believe that the winner of this game will have the early leader out of the Pac-12, even including Michael Penix and for the Heisman Trophy, who they're going to halt or lift and say, okay, the Pac-12 is going to get behind this kid playing quarterback. Because this is the first game that's got to be played where you got two guys who are in the Heisman Trophy view that can say, okay, look, they can win or lose the trophy based on how they play in this game. So there's going to be a lot of hype. 
I just wish that Travis Hunter could play, man, because I like you yeah. said, I think defensively that's where Oregon is going to get stung, man, because believe it or not, they got some WRs out there in Oregon without a shadow of a doubt, man. And I really like that Chris Hudson kid, man. That Chris Hudson kid can play. Based on what I saw in the All-22 film, he, he might not be a Marvin Harrison Jr., but he's going to get up there and block. He's definitely going to hurt you quick in the passing game. He runs them across the middle. He runs outside fly routes. This kid is a good football player. So I look for the game to be definitely competitive and definitely high scoring. So, Andy, you know how we do on the show. Tell me, man, is this the end of the reign for the Colorado Buffaloes and Oregon Bills? What you thinking? I think this is the wake-up call for Colorado, not necessarily in the wake-up call of, oh, man, you know, they're going to be a bad team here. No, I think this is just the first game that Colorado is going to play against a team that can match them athletically, can match them physically. Mm-hmm. I think Oregon's going to win this game. It's Colorado's first road game, uh, not first road game of the season, but it's their first road game in the Pac-12 where they're yeah. playing in yeah. a really hostile environment. Going up to Oregon and, and winning up there is just a hard proposition. Yeah, I, I feel pretty confident that Oregon's going to win this game. I do not feel confident that uh, Colorado is going to cover or that Oregon is going to cover a 20-point spread. That mm-hmm. feels ridiculous to me. I think this is going to be a game that's probably close for most of the mm-hmm. game. Maybe mm-hmm. Oregon pulls away and they win by, you know, 10 to 14 because of a late score in the fourth quarter. Yeah. But I feel like this I feel like this game's going to be pretty close throughout because like you mentioned, this I think both offenses can score here. Yeah, I agree, man. I I think this is going to be the first time in the season and I'm actually going to pick against Colorado. Because I just think that the environment in Eugene is just going to be too big for him to handle. And without with the loss of Travis Hunter, that definitely tilts yep. it towards it. But let me say this, man. I'm going to be honest. Even though I'm picking Oregon, if Deion Sanders and the Colorado Buffaloes figure out a way to go into Eugene, Oregon, and steal this game, do you understand and realize what's going to happen as far as the landscape of college football? Everybody, every player that's a top player, is going to look and like, man, I'm going to Colorado. I'm going to flip my commit. You know, so this that's how big of a game this is for the program because I initially said that Dion would win between six and eight games, but he's in a position where you get a win in Eugene and everything changes. So yeah. I'm tearing for him, but I just know in my heart of hearts that Oregon's going to win the game. Oregon's going to – but high scoring, Oregon's going to win the game. And like you said, Andy, pulling away late. Yeah. All right, man, so we flip. To the other side of the defunct Pac-12, Pac-2, whatever the heck you want to call the conference. The conference of no more. It's what we're calling it. And we got another premium matchup in that conference with UCLA, who we don't know necessarily a lot about because they haven't played out on the national stage. They're young, but they're ranked, and that's not by accident, against the Utah Utes, man. So we got a huge number 22 versus number 11 game with UCLA versus Utah. Andy, man, talk to me a little bit about the preview with UCLA and Utah. One of the things that I think is really cool about UCLA is the Chip Kelly revival that that we're really seeing here. Mm-hmm. Like Chip Kelly is somebody who, you know, reinvented college football up at Oregon to the point that what he was doing at Oregon is now pretty standard across all of college football right now. Mm -hmm. So after his stint in the NFL, he comes back to college and everybody's expecting Chip Kelly to be running this high flying offense down in L.A. And, you know, it seems like a great fit. But what I've been really impressed with him uh, so far 
has been his commitment to the run game, but mm. almost going old school. And you will see UCLA come out in this game. They like to come out in big sets with lots yep. of tight ends, hit yep. you in the mouth, run that ball right up the gut, and dare you to stop them. And they've been doing mm. it really effectively this season. They have the 14th best offense in the country, according to SP+, and that is all because of the running game. Mm. They have uh, – they. They have a team that um, in most other games you're going, okay, when we're matching up against UCLA, there's going to be a bit of a shift from what we're used to playing against. This is not necessarily the way we want to play. Yeah. There is just one team in the Pac-12 that says bring it on, and that is the Utah Utes. Uh, yeah. They are probably the one defense that goes up against this kind of smash mouth running uh, football every week in practice. They are used to it. I think – this is one of those games we, we talked about Utah, Florida feeling this way mm-hmm. and ultimately ended up not being there because the Florida defense was not getting off the bus for that game. Uh, yeah. But I feel like I feel like this game is going to be your classic smash mouth Two teams that are just going to put the ball on the ground, run the ball up the middle, run some power concepts, run some counter concepts and yeah. dare the other team to try to slow them down. Uh, facts, man. I, I I ride with it for sure. Hey, and so listen, I got to give a shout out to a kid that's an amazing athlete that plays for the UCLA Bruins, man. Dante Moore, a kid from Detroit, Michigan, that actually flipped his commit from the University of Michigan to UCLA based on Chip Kelly going in and selling this kid to, hey, look, man, you can come here as a true freshman and start. The kids throw for 615 yards and seven touchdowns already at the beginning of the season. And so I'm like, man, if they're so we got all this great quarterback play out there. Nobody's talking about Dante Moore. And Dante, for like I said, to be a kid playing in the Pac-12 as a true freshman starting and has put up those type of numbers, yeah, he can run, but yeah, he can throw too. You know, and, and they run when I'm telling you, and Andy was right, they run that traditional RPO zone read, run downhill. I seen them run a split back option on the all 22 film, and I was like. I haven't seen that since the 90s. Who runs a split back option? And they ran it to perfection and scored. You know, like on the inside trap play. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, Chip Kelly's got something going on right there with this kid, man. So do we have anything, any hearing on rising? Is rising going to play? I haven't seen anything about rising playing. And I think to me, that's that's the big coin flip for me in this matchup. Yes, it is at Utah, and winning on the road in a big game is really hard to do. But I I just haven't loved the way that Utah has looked without Cam Rising. You know, they won that Florida game less so because of their great quarterback play and more so because Florida's defense was really poor. And I am not that Baylor game really scared me. You know, I don't think, I think Baylor is a solid team. I don't think Baylor is a great team and they really struggled uh, without Cam rising in that game. They just played Weber state who they only beat 31 to seven. I feel like this game, the reason we're talking about it, we're talking about PAC 12 contenders. Utah should absolutely be a PAC 12 contender. They were in the Rose bowl last year, but this quarterback situation is starting to come to a head. And if you don't have Cam rising for your PAC 12 schedule, Utah is going to be in trouble with how strong yeah. the Pac-12 has gotten so far. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's going to be the the you know the pivot, really. To be honest, the way to say, okay, does Utah level up and be able to play a you know half a season or eight games or whatever without Rising? But if Rising's able to come back, especially for this game, I think it's going to be competitive. But if not, 
I look, you know, I, I'm gonna say this. I look for UCLA to actually put the fear of God in those other Pac-12 teams by how they're gonna manhandle Utah. That's just what I'm saying as far as my early prediction. But Andy, you know how we get out on the show. I'll let you say yours first, and then I speak my piece, and then that's our prediction. So, Andy, who you got in Utah versus UCLA? Well, according to the Orange County Register, uh, Willingham in his press conference today said that Cam Rising is day-to-day, but that he does not make the ultimate call on whether he plays or not. That's up to the surgeon and the medical staff. Uh, that is a big old non-answer if I ever heard one before. Mm. I'm go- I will say this. I think that if Cam Rising plays, this is going to be a close game. I think without Cam Rising, I think UCLA is going to win this game. I think that UCLA might win this game comfortably uh, because of the way that they can just dominate on the ground. They are going to bash Utah over the head in a way that I don't think Utah has had anybody do to them mm. so far the last couple of seasons. Mm. I I like UCLA to win this game. Put Like you said, put the Pac-12 on notice that this mm. is going to be a really tough team to play. I think UCLA is last year's Utah. You don't want to play them. When you play them, you're going to come out beaten. You're going to come out sore. You're not going to like who you have to play the next week. UCLA is going to be a speed bump for any team that wants to win the Pac-12 this year. Uh, shout out to Chip Kelly and the Bruins. Man, I, I listen, I'm saying, hail Bruins. Let's go. I think UCLA, like you said, is the sneaky team out there in the Pac-12. And I look for UCLA to manhandle Utah in this game, especially if Ryzen don't be on the field. So, Andy, we are definitely on the same page with this this game, which is the second of those Pac-12 hitters on Separation Saturday. So, Andy, before we continue, we got to take a quick commercial break on the Fans First Sports Network Level Up Podcast College Football Preview with Andy P. and Big G. with Andy P and Big G on the Fans First Sports Network Level Up Podcast College Preview of Week 4. Hey, for all those out there listening, please make sure you check us out on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And we got some sneaky stuff coming, maybe just a live show, but we'll talk about that at the end. But Andy, we're to our big game in the SEC this week, which is not really a big game. It's Ole Miss versus Alabama. Alabama dropped to number 13 in the polls. They dropped out of the top 10 for the first time probably since me and you were little whippersnappers, you know, young guys <laughs> just learning about really what college football is, man. So Coach Saban's got some problems down there starting at the quarterback position. But give me your preview of Ole Miss and Alabama. Yeah, this is – I was one of the people saying last week, nobody – handles a loss better than Nick Saban. Nobody has his team ready for a lo- uh, the game after a loss like Nick Saban does. I think that is one of the reasons why you've had this streak of top 10 Alabama because of the way that Saban has handled adversity in that program. Mm-hmm. However, this quarterback situation might be the worst situation that he has ever had at quarterback. Uh, yeah. Jalen Milrow, after that game uh, against Texas, gets benched. Uh, there was a quote after the game where Nick Saban said the reason that Milrow was benched and then didn't come into the second half was because Milrow was the third best quarterback in practice that week. So he was the third quarterback on the depth chart for that game. Yeah, man, that to me is really worrisome because 
if Milrow wasn't good enough, or if no one was better than Milrow before the season uh, and to win that quarterback battle, mm. that's one thing. Like, that happens. Yeah. But yeah. to all of a sudden have Milrow go from number one to number three one week in and then to lay that egg against USF where you only win 17 to three, yeah, I am genuinely concerned that this offense is going to be, you know, capped at 20 points from here on out. Mm-hmm. And Ole Miss is going to put up more than 20 points. <laughs> this Alabama defense is in – I think that this is the most talented offense that the Alabama defense is going to play this regular season. Yes, mm. I know that they just played Texas. And, yes, I saw what that Texas offense did to this Alabama defense. Mm. Yeah, I agree, man. Hey, and they got something special brewing over there at Ole Miss, man. I think last week well, – was I don't know if it was last week or two weeks ago when they played Tulane University. And I got an opportunity to watch probably about half of the game, maybe a little bit more than half. And I was like, man, Ole Miss's offense, man, is, is a little different. When I'm saying that they have speed across the board, it's been a long time. I mean, this is all the way back when DK Metcalf and those guys were over there at Ole Miss. And some of the speed and some of the height and strength that they have at the wide receiver position, at the running back position, and just across the board, man. I really like how these guys look. And the main guy that I really like is Dart. Dart, the quarterback, man, looks a little different. And it's amazing how we're seeing so many of these guys look different compared from last year to this year. I mean, he's got 852 yards passing, 213 yards rushing. So last time when your quarterback leads your team in rushing and passing, you got something special going on at that quarterback position. But I like their wide receivers. I like Watkins. I like Wade. I like Harris. All those guys are really like seniors. Some of them are transfer portal guys. So you don't have a lot of film on them. And I think that Alabama doesn't have the traditional – be scared of the front seven defense. I mean, you know who Kool-Aid McKinley is. Everybody knows that. But I'm saying, like, okay, what else do they have? They don't have a pass rusher. They don't have a guy to replace Will Anderson. And that's where Alabama has dominated over the last five, six, seven, eight, ten seasons, however far back you want to count. And I think that Ole Miss can be the bully in the building and push them around. Reversely, I don't think that Alabama's offense, and, you know, what we was talking about with, with old Mr. Saban, Saban said he's got a full vote of confidence that Milrow has earned the job this week. So come on, man. One week you said he was trash, and this week you say that he that he's got the job. So I ain't buying what Saban's talking. And I think he's definitely limited from an offensive standpoint to probably score about maybe 20 points for sure, for sure. So, Andy, who you got? Ole Miss I, versus Bama. I'm telling you right now, there would be nothing – more interesting from a narrative perspective if Lane Kiffin, the guy who was always the thorn in Nick Saban's side, mm. becomes the guy to put the nail in Alabama's coffin in week four Ooh. of the season. Because yeah. if Alabama loses this game, they are they are not they are going to the Citrus Bowl. They are not <laughs> playing in that playoff. They are not playing in the SEC championship game. They are going to a regular plain old, you know, eight, nine the, win bowl game like the, everybody. They're going else. to the Duke's Mayo Bowl. The Duke's exactly. Mayo Bowl. <laughs> and you gotta Scrub watch Nick, you gotta watch Nick Saban like sit through one of those, you know, press tours as that that bowl committee is so happy to have him. Uh, yeah. I, I I just think that Lane Kiffin is one of those coaches who kind of has Saban's number schematically. I think mm. Saban knows it. He's rolling out Milrow because Milrow is the guy who can make the big play. Yeah. Uh, if you look at if you look at these two teams, uh, PFF has something called big time throw percentage, which is essentially mm. any time 
quarterback attempts to make a you know a high difficulty throw either down the field or to the sidelines. Yeah. Alabama tries to do that about eight percent of the time. Most teams don't go higher than five. So right. it's they like to take the risks, and Milrow is the only quarterback on that roster who has a hope of making those throws. Yeah. However, there's one team that does it more than them in the SEC, and that is Ole Miss. 10% yeah. of Ole Facts. Miss's throws are big time throws. Give me Ole Miss. Give me Dart. I think that this is going to be a coming out game for Lane Kiffin. And as much as I, as much as I think that you know the SEC is it, you don't move around SEC jobs. Lane Kiffin is out here telling the world, "Hey, I'm Lane Kiffin. You can you can hire me for your big time job. I'll take that Michigan job if, if Harbaugh decides to go to the NFL. You know, I'll yeah. take that Penn State job if James if James Franklin decides to go to the NFL or goes yeah. goes somewhere else. Like I think I think Lane is very aware that he he can win at Old Miss and he can do a lot of great things at Old Miss." Uh, but I think he wants a bigger stage, and this is his yeah. chance to kind of go out there and prove that he's come all the way back around. Yeah, this is definitely level up week for Lane Kiffin and the Ole Miss Rebels, man. So I look for Ole Miss to, and I, Andy, I side with you. I look for Ole Miss to pull the upset, to walk into Alabama, walk into Tuscaloosa, and like you said, put the nail in the coffin for Nick Saban and his trip to the Mayo Bowl, the Duke's Mayo Bowl this year, because he's not going to a big time. Bowl after this. I think they'll still probably maybe even lose to LSU. So I look for them to maybe have three, possibly even four losses because Saban is not recruited like he's recruited in the past. And definitely because of Georgia and Tennessee and other teams of Florida leveling up in the SEC, you ain't got the same pool you used to have, Mr. Saban. So we'll see. And I think it's a, it's not the end of the era, but it's definitely the end of Alabama for this season and their push for the college football playoff. Andy, we're to what I think is the sneakiest big game on the schedule this week because I look, I've watched both of these programs in the all 22 film. And when I'm telling you that these two programs, if you don't know out there in college football land, you need to pay attention to this game. Washington state and Oregon state are both for real. The, the loser of this game might have one loss on their schedule and the winner could win the whole dang on thing out there in the PAC 12. It's really that competitive. I like it. I think it's the sneakiest game on our schedule this week. It's two ranked opponents, number 14, Oregon State, versus number 21, Washington State. Andy, talk to me, man. Give me the preview of Washington State versus Oregon State. One of the things I really love about this game is that a lot lot of the games that we've talked about so far – We've talked about teams that are relatively imbalanced. You know, they have a really strong offense and maybe not so strong as a, of a defense. Or mm. and you know, this week there, you know, there's a lot of leveling out that's happening here. These are yeah. two teams that just very like the way that they've played so far this year. They are just very even on both sides of the ball. You know, SP yeah. Plus has uh, Washington State uh, in the 30s on defense, in the 30s on offense. They have mm. Wazoo in the in the 30s on defense and in the 30s on offense. Just mm. two teams that are very good on both sides of the ball. Maybe not elite on both sides of the ball, but when you have two teams that are built so well uh, in like these two teams are, it's mm. really going to come down to schematics. It's going to come down to turnovers, and it's going to come down to that home field advantage. And I would, mm. any day of the week, I would pick Oregon State here. The thing that gives me pause is going up to Washington State when they are good. We've seen now for the last couple of years, you know, once Mike Leach kind of re- mini, did a little mini revival of that program, Nick Rolovich took advantage of some of it, 
Uh, but really, it's been the last couple of years that Washington State has proven that that is a not fun environment. Going up to Pullman, going up to Martin Stadium, when it's a full mm. game, when it's a big game, that is a really tough place to win. And yeah, that yeah. is always – that's always a factor in college football. Without a shadow of a doubt, man. I think that Cameron Ward is one of the most sneaky college football players out there that's not getting a lot of rhythm, not getting a lot of love. But this kid is almost thrown for 1,000 yards in his first three games. He's somewhere around 986, 987. He's rushed for about 100. But when I'm telling you that they are rugged and tough as far as Washington State is concerned – they're, they're going to try to be the bully in the building. I saw them bully a Big Ten powerhouse in Wisconsin. Yep. Wisconsin went there, and I watched probably three-fourths of the game, and they bullied them the whole game. It was never even really even, to me, a close game outside of uh, 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 Wisconsin scoring late, which sort of pushed it close. But, man, that King kid can play quarterback, man. But on the other side, they got a, just a serviceable kid – playing quarterback with DJ Ule, the transfer from Clemson, you know, and which I know Dabo's looking himself in the face like right now. We're like, what did I do? You know, because he, he has swung the pendulum for Oregon State, who I think prior to his transfer had 20 returning starters coming back to the all 22. He comes in and makes 21. So they got one kid that's a new starter and look, oh my goodness, look up. They're 3-0, and ranked number 14 in the country. So the Oregon State is a bully too. They push the ball, they run the ball, and they, like you said, with the new clock rules in college football, they really limit your possessions if you're another team. So I think this is strength on strength for sure, Andy. What's your thoughts about that? Yeah, I think that DJU is somebody who is a great case study and how important scheme is to a quarterback and to an offense. We saw him at Clemson really struggle to kind of become the next Trevor Lawrence where you're both mobile and stationary working in the pocket. You're trying to work the ball deep downfield in that middle 10 past the first yardsticks. That's a right. tough thing to ask somebody to do. And he had the yeah. pedigree to do it. Like this is a yeah. this is a guy that was a five-star prospect. He had the Dr. Pepper ads. It all it all made sense. But Trevor Lawrence is an excellent NFL quarterback. He was yeah. an amazing college quarterback. Like not yeah. everybody can just step up and do that role. So you bring him out to Oregon where they have a fantastic offensive line. They're asking him to really work in that 10 yard or a 10 yard or less box yeah. a lot more. Yeah. And yeah. he's somebody who is so smart. He makes the right read every time he gets the ball out of his hands quickly. He's able to use his feet to move the pocket, which allows you to run different kinds of mesh concepts in that, you know, 10 yard and under route which makes defending Oregon really hard because then you add in those RPO wrinkles to it and all of a sudden you've got an offense where the defense is on its heels the whole time and they're yeah. never really taking a big shot. They're just thinking and dunking you to death. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that that is something that Oregon state has done really effectively in this kind of revival this year. I don't necessarily think that the Washington state defense is good enough to slow down Oregon state. Uh, and that to me, like you said, I think Oregon state is going to win the time of possession battle here. And I think this is the game where the team with the ball last is going to win the game. Mm. I, I, that to, this game is screaming to me a road win by Oregon state, even, even mm. though it's going to be close. Mm. Oh, so that your prediction is Oregon state to beat Washington state. It is. It is. Uh, Andy, I got to swing the other way, Ooh. man. I hate to do it. I hate to do it, but I, I think Wazoo's for real. King's a great quarterback, man. They got yeah. a great coach. They got a great culture. I wouldn't want to go into Washington state and play ever. 
You know, I I think there's a lot of shades tree stuff, not in a bad way, but in a good way going on up there in that tree orchard in Washington State, you know, because people don't understand and know if you've never been up in the Pacific Northwest, they are filled up with apple trees everywhere. So, so you know, there's a lot of shade tree plays jumping off and going up there in Pullman, uh, Washington, man. So I like Washington State to beat and pull the upset of Oregon State, even though Oregon State is a very good team. I just like Washington State to win the game. Andy, man, we're to my game, man. We're to my game. This is going to be hard for me to talk about. I got to be truthful and real when I'm talking about it. For all of you guys that don't know out there on Level Up Podcast, Rocket on Fans First Sports Network, Big G is a diehard OSU, Ohio State Buckeyes Till I Die fan. I love the Buckeyes. I ride with the Buckeyes. I live in Ohio. All of my children go into Ohio State. My wife graduated from Ohio State. She works for Ohio State University. I live and die Buckeye red around here, man. And we got Notre Dame coming in, man. Oh, we're going to Notre Dame for our first big test of the season. This is a huge game for both programs. It's a statement game for both programs. It's probably the game of the day. College football will definitely be there. The preview show will be there. I was, I was told that I think that Fox Sports – and that ESPN will both be in South Bend, Indiana for this game, like how they did last week in Colorado. But it's huge, Andy. It's huge. So let me get your preview of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish versus the Ohio State University Buckeyes. I am really intrigued in this game because Notre Dame has been a bit of a mystery to me so far this season. They've played Mm – Three nobodies in Navy, um, Tennessee State, and Central Michigan, and they've looked great in all three of those games. They've been able to move the ball on the ground really effectively. Sam Hartman is able to push the ball downfield really effectively. They look like the real deal. Mm. Then they played NC State, which, to be fair, included an over-hour-long lightning delay that – you've seen those things like really mess with teams tempo, especially when you're the road team, it's you're not, you're in the, you're in the worst locker room. It's, I understand how that can really mess with the team. And they, they struggled to put NC state away. Uh, They won Mm. that game 45 to 24, but it was relatively close for most of the first half. And it wasn't until late in the, wasn't until that middle eight where uh, Notre Dame pulled away. Mm. So on the, on the other side, I've seen an Ohio State team that played Indiana in the opening week, and while they didn't look fantastic, they Mm. took care of business against an Indiana team that I have now seen become a thorn in the side for every team that they've played so far. Um, And Youngstown State was, you know, write that off. But Western Kentucky is supposed to be a good, you know, G5 program, and Mm. they are a contender in Conference USA, and Ohio State just absolutely beat them to death. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I know that Ohio state's on the road in Notre Dame, but to me, the body of work that I've seen so far, Notre Dame hasn't really played anybody. And in that game against NC state, they relied so heavily on the run. Uh, Mm -hmm. They relied on Estime to really carry that team, get them in rhythm. Sam Hartman struggled with NC state's pressure. The Notre Dame offensive line really struggled in pass protection They were great run blocking. That is a trend that I've seen enough times to know that like 
that just might be the way that this offensive line is built. They'd rather go downhill rather than protect. And even though Ohio state has its offensive questions, the, I don't think the Notre Dame defense is good enough to really challenge Ohio state in the way to make those, to make those problem, to make those questions problems. They might Mm -hmm. still be questions, but they might not be problems. Mm -hmm. While on the other side, I think that the Ohio state defense, if Notre Dame's pass protection hasn't been figured out, uh, Notre Dame or Ohio State can stuff the Notre Dame run and force mm. Sam Hartman and that offensive line to move the ball down the field uh, in order to move in order to you know put points up on the board. Yeah, I, man, every point you just made, I agree in totality. And without being totally biased about it, I will say that Sam Hartman is playing like one of some of the best college football right now. He's got a thousand sixty-one yeah. yards rushing. I mean, he's passing. And then that estimate kid, he's rushed for about 600 yards. And where Ohio State has struggled in the past, especially like when you look, if you go back and look at what they did against Michigan the last two seasons, Michigan was basically able to line up and run bully ball and run the ball straight down the, 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 the heart or throat or soul of Ohio State as far as their rush defense is concerned. So that concerns me a little bit. From the offensive side of the ball, Ohio State, they named their quarterback. He played. He didn't do so bad. I would have gave him – I'm going to watch the all 22 film tonight. Based on what I saw already, I think I would have given him about a B, maybe a B plus, but maybe I could see a little bit better. But I say based on how he played last week, oh, there's 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 not a shadow of a doubt he's the starter in Ohio State. The issue is going to be can McCord play a big-time game in a big-time atmosphere away from Ohio State? And what is Ohio State's offensive line going to do? Because they're still relatively young. I haven't seen a game yet. I watched, like I said, the first two games. Nobody on the offensive line outside of Donovan Jackson graded an elite level as far as the grade is concerned. I'll go back and watch the All-22 this week and see if we got an elite level. We might have two, maybe three guys grade out elite level. So that's the concern because Notre Dame and that crowd over in Notre Dame, and you already know the luck of the Irish, that little green leprechaun running around. They're going to wear all green uniforms first time in Notre Dame history. They're going to wear a green jersey and green pants. So, you know, that place is going to be rocking. And Notre Dame's still sort of salty about that butt whooping that Ohio State put on them several years back with 49-27 in the horseshoe where Eddie George went crazy and won the highest, basically won the Heisman Trophy based on his performance against Notre Dame. So this is a huge game. And we're going to find out if Ohio State defense is fixed. This is the game where you're going to find out if they really are. Did hiring Jim Knowles and bringing Jim Knowles in from Oklahoma State, did he fix what we need to be fixed in Ohio State for them to contend? So, Andy, saying all that, man, who you got with the Notre Dame Fighting Irish versus the Ohio State Buckeyes? I really want to take Ohio State because I do believe that on paper – Ohio State is the better team. I think that mm. Ohio, like 11, like 11 on 11, I think Ohio State has more talent than Notre Dame on both sides of the ball. Mm. However, you you hit the nail on the head for me. Ohio State has been beat before mm. by teams just deciding to run the ball up the middle on them and Ohio mm. State being unable to adapt. You know mm. that that's what Notre Dame is capable of doing, and they've also got Sam Hartman to make the smart decisions in the passing attack in order to keep, you know, the keep the box spread out. Yeah, yeah. I I think that Notre Dame is going to score 27-ish points. And okay. the question becomes can Ohio State score more? 
Mm-hmm. I don't know if they can right now. I think mm-hmm. if this game was at the end of the season, I would feel incredibly confident taking an Ohio State team that has figured out its quarterback situation, that has played some tougher opposition, has gotten some seasoning on that offensive line and in that quarterback room. Mm-hmm. I'd feel a lot better about it then. Mm-hmm. But it's still early in the season. It's still going to come down to the better defense and the better quarterback. And right now, I think that the defenses are maybe a little bit even, maybe mm-hmm. a slight edge to Ohio State. But that quarterback, you know, Notre Dame's got the better quarterback by at least one level. And yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Notre Dame to win this game, even though I think Ohio State might be the better team overall. Man, Andy, I'm a diehard Buckeye fan, and you almost convinced me based on what your facts and you kicked <laughs> on the Level Up podcast for Notre Dame. But I'm telling you right now, <laughs> I'm telling you right now, believe it when I'm telling you, Ohio State has got their act together. Ohio State goes into South Bend, Indiana, and wins this game 28-17. to 17 with, 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 check this out, Andy, a run game. You Ooh. are going to have between – you're going to have between – Ohio State rushed for over 175 yards. Between Chip Trainum, between Travion Henderson, and between Bam Porkchop Williams, you're going to see Ohio State run for over 175 yards and win the game 28 to 17 and maybe put some of the naysayers to bed until they play Penn State in November when they're all gray out going on to Columbus, Ohio at the shoe. All right, I'll tell Andy. You right, oh, oh, I, I was going to say, I'll tell you right now. I, I, want Ohio State to be successful because I think the narratives around Ryan Day, I know the Michigan mm-hmm. game is always a big, like the record there is, is what it is. Yeah. I think that they have established one of the most talented rosters across all of football. And yeah. I'm with, if they are able to win that game running the ball, like you just said, mm-hmm. I am putting Ohio State firmly back in playoff contention. Yeah. And I think Ohio State is a national title contender if they are able to, you know, win games that way. Yeah, yeah. I, I, like I said, I think that the running game is the difference in the game. And so, but we'll see. And that's why they play on Saturdays. And, you know, I, I got to be honest and fair to all the people listening to this out to Fans First Sports Network. I'm a homer. I'm a home team guy. I'm going to cheer for the Buckeyes. But I really do believe in my heart of hearts that they figured it out. These last two weeks, and by settling on Kyle McCord, playing quarterback, he's not looking over his shoulder. The kid played a whole lot better. But he's got to prove it this week against Notre Dame. If he doesn't approve it this week, then we got problems over in Buckeye land. And, Coach Day, you might be on the hot seat. So it is time It's time to level up this week. It's not time to play around. It's time to get the victory and get the dub over in South Bend, get on the bus and drive on back to Columbus so we can celebrate with you down here at the OHIO, man. Andy, we got our last game, man, which is another Big Ten rivalry, a sneaky Big Ten game because we had a team jumping to the top 25 that we was looking around, looking around like, are they for real? And now all of a sudden, one team didn't look so good last week and one team looked real good. So our last game on the slate is Iowa visiting the Penn State Nittany Lions, number 24 versus number seven. Andy, give me a preview with Iowa versus Penn State. Well, if you don't know, the Iowa offense is led by the son of the head coach. And the performance has been so poor over the last few years that there is now a points quota that Iowa has to hit over the season Otherwise, the uh, offensive coordinator will either have his salary significantly reduced or will be fired. 
Uh, It's not going so well this year. Uh, Iowa has the 80th ranked offense, according to SP plus, but the reason that they are ranked in the top 25, the reason that this is an interesting game is that Iowa has one of the best defenses in the country. And according to SP plus Iowa has the best defense in the country. Facts. Number one. Now Penn state also has an elite defense. Uh, They Mm. have the fourth ranked defense in the country, according to SP plus, uh, their offense is ranked 21st. So it's good, mm. but it's not elite. And I think mm. for me, that's what's interesting about this game. James Franklin historically has attempted to dumb down these games in the past where he doesn't yeah. try to do a whole lot schematically. He tries to just run, run, pass pretty much for the entire game. And it usually ends like 9-6. And I've always been really critical because that is playing into what Iowa wants. Iowa wants mm. you to play dumb football. They don't want you to try to do anything smart. Uh, they want, they don't want you to score points because they can't score points. Mm. But Drew Aller has proven to be something new for Penn State. Facts. He's he's a different type of quarterback than anything that they've had in recent memory. Uh, you know, the sophomore from Ohio has looked really good this season. He's only attempted 88 passes, but he's completed them 67% of the time, 8.4 yards per attempt. He is the type of quarterback that if James Franklin and the Penn State offense are willing to take some calculated risks, I think that they can convert, and I think that they can put Iowa away in a game like 20-3, to 20-7, and it'll be, a, it'll be a slugfest the whole way out. But I really want to see Penn State, if you're serious about competing in the Big Ten, if you're serious about beating Ohio State and Michigan and all these other teams that historically James Franklin has struggled with, Iowa is a team that you need to prove you can beat by more than just a single score. And uh, I, this, because this offense, like Iowa's offense shouldn't score any points against Penn state. Uh, Andy, you hit all the key points, man, without a shadow of a doubt. The issue has been with Penn state so far. They ain't been able to run the ball like how they did. You know, they had those two yeah. dynamic freshmen with Katron Allen and, and Nick Singleton that just lit the big 10 up like Christmas trees last year. Between those two kids, they don't even have but about 350 or 360 yards rushing. And that's where Penn State has struggled this season because I think everybody's saying, okay, we know you can run. Let's see if this Drew Aller kid can actually play. Now, he's played serviceable. He's got 737 yards passing so far this season. However, this is a big-time test because, like you said, Iowa has the number one defense in all college football, according to the stats. So the issue is going to be, can Penn State try to play, like you said, the vanilla football game and beat Iowa, which I don't think they can. I think that they got to take deep shots. I think they got to hit on crossing routes. I think that they got to line up more in 11 personnel than they do 12 personnel and try to spread the ball outside the hash marks and allow their speed to dominate over Iowa. Because even though Iowa hits hard, they hit fast and they hit often, they're not fast. You know, and on the other side, Iowa's offensive offensive line is going to try to pump and dominate Penn State's defensive line. They're going to run straight at them. It's not going to be no secret. Kay McNamara is going to line up. He's going to play that old school Michigan football. He's got his tight end over from Michigan to transfer winning. So he's going to be trying to go up the scene, go up the scene, go up the scene, play action pass right up, right up the hash marks, you know, and hit you guys and score. And I don't know if you know this or not, Andy. Every year that Penn State and Iowa plays, Iowa always has at least one trick play in the chamber. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's if it's if it's a fake field goal, a fake punt, a double pass, 
a reverse. They have a trick play in the chamber every year. And about every year, it seems like they beat Penn State on a trick play. So they got one dialed up this year for sure in this game. So I think it's going to be a bar burner, but the advantage is Penn State. They're playing I agree. Penn State, man, you know. I 100% agree. I think like this is another game where I look at it and I go, you know what, Iowa's defense fantastic. But yeah. Penn State is more talented, both sides yeah. of the ball. They should win this game. But, again, I think it's going to come down to James Franklin and the Penn State uh, offensive coordinators getting out of their own way. You know, get yeah. try take those shots. No, have confidence in your team executing at a high level like mm-hmm. you think like you need them to do against an Ohio State and Michigan later on in the season. Again, right. like you said, it's separation Saturday. I want Penn State to separate from the rest of that Big Ten. I want to see a Penn State that is capable of hanging with the best of the best in the Big Ten. Facts, man. So, Andy, who you got? Penn State, Iowa traveling to Penn State. Who you got? I'm going to take Penn State. I think Penn State's going to win this game. Uh, I want Penn State to win big. I think in reality they're probably going to win something like 14-3. to It's going to be an ugly game, but <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, think, yeah. I think Penn State's going to win. Yeah, man, I think I'm calling Penn State uh, too, true and true and true. Drew Aller is the truth, man. I saw that kid play in Medina high, high School over in Ohio. He's the truth. You know what, Buckeye fans? I'm still salty we didn't recruit him because we recruited Quinn Ewers to transfer it on us over this kid. So I, I get it, but and I like the kid as a quarterback. But I just think Penn State is just a little bit too much for Iowa. But I wouldn't be shocked if Iowa pulls the upset. I wouldn't be shocked because it's Big Ten season and it's Big Ten football for sure, for sure. Andy, we're to the close of the show, man. You got any party shots before we get up out of here on the Level Up podcast? I Like you said, Separation Saturday, it's going to be a, bit, a good one. I'm, I'm interested to see a lot of the games we talked about. We're talking about good offenses against okay to, to just, just good defenses. Want to see how many teams take advantage of these new clock rules, potentially try to run the, you know, run the clock out a little bit more aggressively than we've seen in years past. But yeah. overall, when you wake up at noon, when you go to bed at midnight, you're going to have great college football on every single hour. It's, it's a great Saturday. Facts, man. I can't wait to get to Saturday. Thank you guys for listening to me and Andy P on the Fans First Sports Network Level Up Podcast. And make sure you check us out every week on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And be looking for the upcoming YouTube live presentation on the Fans First Sports Network with the Level Up Podcast with me and Andy P and maybe a few special guests lingering around the building. As for us on the show, we'll check you guys next week. Peace.